Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello. Before we start this next episode of the podcast, I just want to share with you about the new live round of my Aware Parenting Teenagers course, which is starting on the 22nd of May. In this live round, we're going to dive deep into many of the aspects of applying this beautiful approach with our teenagers, supporting all the beautiful parents in this community to be able to develop close, connected loving relationships with their teens and navigate many of the challenges that we all face in our families. If you would like to know more, please visit my website, awareparenting.com.au forward slash courses, and all the information is there. Right, let's get on with this episode. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm really happy to be back talking to an Aware Parenting instructor again. And this time, I have the pleasure of having Kirsty Fernandez on the call. Kirsty, thanks so much for making time to come and talk to us today. Thank you for having me. So, Kirsty is the mother to two beautiful children, age six and three. And she specializes in supporting parents in that pre and postpartum period and also with aware parenting. Kirsty describes her journey of motherhood as a challenging one that we all face and found herself lost on the other side of birth, having prepared really diligently, but having no idea what she needed to nourish, nurture and heal herself post-birth. She was so struck by the fact that we're focused on the birth of a baby and forget that a mother is also born on that fateful day. She recognized the need for us all to share our stories and to be heard and to heal emotionally, physically, and spiritually after birth. And beyond birth too, when we find ourselves responsible for parenting these wonderful little people too. She stumbled across aware parenting, and then everything changed for her family. And she feels that she now has the tools to hold space for her children so that they can move through their big feelings and have learned how to honor her own needs and to heal from her past hurts as well. Kirsty is a certified aware parenting coach, a certified sacred mother roaster, a certified sacred pregnancy instructor, and she shares her offerings through her business, Honoring Mothers. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. It all sounds amazing. So I always start the podcast by asking, how did you find Aware Parenting? You say you stumbled across it. How was that process? What's your story there? Yeah, so my daughter was about nine months old and we had had quite a challenging time so far, particularly in terms of sleep. I think for her first sort of three months, we, uh, my husband and I would take turns with her asleep on our chest, even throughout the night. And I was just sort of feeling sort of nine months after birth that this was not quite what I had imagined. And my, yeah, her sort of daytime naps, she was maybe not sleeping for more than 45 minutes at a time. Nighttime was a little bit better, but otherwise she was frequently waking up and I was having to feed her a lot. And I stumbled upon a a podcast about co-sleeping. And so I was listening to that. And then when it came to the end of that podcast, it just flowed on to the next one, which happened to be one, I think the 
the podcast was called Voice of the Voiceless and the host, Emily, was actually interviewing Lael Stone about aware parenting. And that was the first time I had ever heard about it. And I was drawn to attachment style parenting and I just couldn't understand how I was supposed to get my needs met in that. And aware parenting just seemed to complete the the circle for me and it made so much sense and it really started to resonate. And if I think about my emotional needs and how uh, more imbalance I feel after being able to talk through a problem or to, you know, have a good cry and I think about how you feel after that, it just made sense that we would also need to hold space for the emotional needs of our children. And I think prior to this time, it had been ingrained or demonstrated around me that crying was a really negative thing and it was something that we needed to stop. And it meant that as a parent, I was not meeting some kind of physical need of my child. And so I was, yeah, so we were about nine months into this and my daughter wouldn't let me put her down. She would cry all the time and she needed to be held and I was just sort of like, this can't, this can't be it. I, I don't understand what I'm doing wrong or how my experience seems to be so different to what I imagined. And her toes were uh, constantly in tension. They were curled. And if you, if you even just physically do that yourself for a couple of moments, it takes so much energy to have your, your toes curled all the time. And this was just the state of tension that she was in and how much she was was holding in her body because I just every time she she cried I would go through that cycle of okay I'll change her nappy I'll feed her I'll you know whatever we think the physical needs are and it was just that she needed to release her feelings yeah so that was sort of how I stumbled upon it some kind of divine intervention and then the first sort of moment I held her before before a daytime nap and I just said to her I just held her in my arms and I just said, I'm here and I'm listening and anything that you need to tell me about, you just let it out. And she sort of cried for maybe, maybe about 45 minutes. And my husband was standing at the door and I said, um, I said, it's okay. I know what I'm doing. And inside I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm giving this a good <laughs> shot. <laughs> and then after that, she just you could see some of the tension left her body and she slept solidly for two hours, which had never happened during the day. And it just sort of was a process that went from there. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, that's how it goes all the time. I think, you know, once once I had sort of unlocked a little bit of that, that first backlog, there was so much more there for her to process that, you know, sleep didn't magically appear. It wasn't the the magical fix, but it was a it was definitely definitely put us on the on the way. Wow. That's so powerful when you were saying that. And I yeah, I loved your description of it being like this divine intervention that you just your your podcast player just went on to play the next one. And there it was, this interview with Lael. And that just so amazing. And it's so often the case that we come to this because we're just exhausted and we have this imagining about how parenting is going to be. And then mm. our children are exhausted and they're not sleeping and we're exhausted and we're not sleeping either. And then we find this way and it, all of that stuff around attachment parenting and being connected and, and all of the beautiful things of it. And yet this big gaping hole about how are we going to get our needs met in this? 
And that's such a common story. And yeah, I was really touched by that. And I loved how you brought in your perspective as well about the benefits of crying, sharing your stories, and how you can see how much better you feel when you have the opportunity to offload how you feel. And how then, of course, it makes sense that our children need exactly the same thing too. And yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it, how our culture so misunderstands crying and that we are somehow led to believe that if our child cries and we're not stopping them crying, we're somehow failing them. And yet how powerful it is when we really understand this piece the difference that we can see in our children, in their bodies, in their souls, in their energy and everything when they have the chance to actually be heard and be supported in this way. And I loved what you were saying about her toes being curled because quite often when our young babies are holding a lot of tension, it's often in their hands then. But of course, it, it can also be in our toes. And when you were speaking that, I was curling my toes and it just felt horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it just felt yeah. so bad. Like, yeah, you say it's so much tension required. And so, yeah, it's so beautiful when we can try this with our children. And then you see, as you say, such a huge difference in them after they've had one cry. And it's not that they have one cry and then everything's fine and they sleep through the night and everything's fabulous, but you can just notice such a shift in in how they're feeling physically and emotionally after having a cry. And so that then starts that process that sort of confirms for us the benefit of it all. So thank you for sharing that. So mm. I loved how you were saying as well that you were you were standing there holding and saying to your husband, yeah, yeah, it's all good. I've got this. And inside you were thinking, Ugh. can you talk a bit more then about that process for you of, of slowly becoming more comfortable to listen to feelings and what that looked like when she was little? Mm. I think particularly when they are very little and they're pre-verbal, we did baby sign language. So there was ways that she could communicate with us from an early age before she could speak. But it's really about really trying to tune into your intuition about understanding whether their physical needs are met and then working out what else could be going on for them and how you can support them through that. So it, it definitely is a process. And I think one way that I I heard someone sort of talk about it was almost like a, a meditation because you're also training yourself to, to sit there and be with those feelings and to hold space for it. And, and that's really hard if you haven't experienced that yourself or, you know, you haven't had a lot of practice of it. Yeah, someone had told me about thinking about it like a meditation. And when you first learn to meditate, you know, you have all these good intentions and you close your eyes and you're, th- and you're thinking your mantra or you're focusing on your breath for sort of five or 10 seconds. And then your mind thinks like, oh, what are we having for dinner? Oh, did I get that conversation? <laughs> and then you sort of take, oh, I'm meant to be meditating. So I'll take it back to my breath. And then, and so that's sort of how I approached being able to listen to feelings was doing it in those little small segments, I guess, until I could really build up my capacity to be really present and and part of that was also making sure that I was getting plenty of listening time myself so I I got a listening partner really quickly when we first started and I think that has made all the difference and especially to my mental health I think I I feel a struggle in my mental health if I have missed a few weeks of of talking to my listening partner and even the the act of engaging with a listening partner is so different to how we 
traditionally think about listening to somebody. And we usually think when somebody's talking to us, we're thinking about, well, what can I say next? Or how is this similar to an experience that I have had? Or what do I think they should do? And we try to give them advice or like insert our story into theirs. And having a listening partnership is, is none of that. It's just holding space for somebody to express themselves. You're reflecting back to them what they're saying. And you've got this trust that they know exactly what next step they need to take. And you don't need to tell them what that is. They're going to come to that conclusion themselves. And so engaging in a listening partnership in that way and changing the way I was listening also meant that when I can sit with my children and listen to their feelings, I'm not thinking about telling them how they can fix this problem that they're having. I'm just focusing on reflecting back and validating their experience of it. And I think that's just something that grows over time, our ability to do that. And it's only with practice. And it started with that five-second meditation of listening and you grow your capacity for it. Oh, yeah, I love I love how you describe that. It's so helpful, I think, for people to hear that because it's not something that we naturally do. We don't naturally listen to children and we don't naturally listen to other adults either. And so it's a real skill, isn't it, to, to learn how to do that. And I loved how you started that process by talking about tuning into your intuition because I think you know, attuned parenting is such a big part of this aware parenting approach. And, and a big part of that is tuning into ourselves. And again, that's something that we need to learn how to do. Most of us didn't grow up with any of those skills. And so that's that's part of the learning as well. And I really love your story of getting a listening partner straight away, because I think it's so, so helpful for us. It's so important. We often talk about it, how important it is for us to get listening so that we feel supported. But of course, there is this other aspect that you describe so beautifully around it teaching you how to actually do it. So it's not just that it's supporting us and it's it's an opportunity for us to get clear and to offload all of our feelings and to start to release and heal from our stuff. But it's also this amazing opportunity to practice listening practice reflecting back, practice validating other people's experience. And then we can bring that to our children. So I really love that that description. And one of the, I was so touched by what you said. You said normally in conversation we are inserting our story into theirs. And that's just, mm-hmm. yeah, that's so often the case. And yet there's immense power when we hold back that, whether that's to our children or to a listening partner or to whoever, but when we can hold that back and instead just hold the space, that's, that's such a beautiful description of what holding space actually is. I love that. Mm-hmm. And of course, as our kids get older, you know, when our kids are really little, it's easy not to be inserting our story, I guess. But uh, you know, as they get older and it's more of a conversation-based holding, it can be so tempting to be offering <laughs> wisdom and advice and, and judgment or criticism into the conversation. So it's, yeah, I find myself having to remind myself and to remember again and again, this is just mm-hmm. listening. You are just holding space, you know, close your mouth. <laughs> Don't mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine that's that's going to definitely be more challenging for me moving into teenage years later as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big time being a teenager. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if you might talk a bit about that then, about not specifically for teens necessarily, but about how each stage in our children's development will bring us face to face 
with our stuff and our stories and our pain and our hurt and, and how you've navigated that process in any way that you're willing to share? Yeah, I guess it's something I didn't anticipate in parenting and maybe that was vastly naive of me, but I don't remember anyone ever saying to me prior to becoming a parent, hey, when you have children, they're going to reflect back to you anything that you haven't processed or healed or dealt with and remind you of what it was like to be that age or activate a memory in your subconscious that you you now need to deal with. Yeah, so that that was a really surprising sort of aspect of parenting that I hadn't been anticipating. One of the tools that I uh, was able to utilize is I did Marion Rose's course on the inner loving presence process. That was quite a transformative experience for me to be able to create this inner loving crew. If anyone follows Marion's work, that's a major part of what she does, which is incredible. But it's basically the ability to be able to revisit painful past memories and to almost create a different ending. And so to to be able to provide yourself with the support and what you needed to, to hear and what you needed to express um, and how you needed someone to respond in that scenario. One of the uh, really powerful things that I learned through that process was this understanding that everyone is always doing the best that they can with the resources that they have. And so I was able to to process and manage those feelings and memories within myself without having to talk to the person who the memory was created with. And one particular memory, I was able to go back to being about 18 months old And the reason that it had been activated in me is I had this sense of not wanting my daughter in a cot and I couldn't understand why. And at this time she was now standing. And so there was something particular about her standing and holding onto the bars that I really didn't like. And we co-slept a lot anyway. So she wasn't, she wasn't in there much, but there was something that was activated in me seeing her standing, holding onto the bars of the cot. And so I used this process that that Marion talks about in the, in the loving presence process of trying to figure out how old you feel when when these feelings are being stirred and what it reminds you of and what was happening. And it took me back to being 18 months old and standing in my cot like that. And so this was a, a memory that was triggered for me. And I didn't, I was able to sort of go inwards to be able to manage that and heal it to conclusion and there was no need to share with anyone else as to you know what happened or anything like that or to create a a time where someone would have to recall that that memory themselves but it was just something that I was able to do within myself and I think that's been a really powerful tool to work out when something is happening for me in relation to my children where it's actually coming from and I'm having a reaction that seems out of proportion to what's going on that's likely to be something coming up from my past that's ready to be heard and healed and and moved on and trusting that process. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing, amazing description. And thank you for sharing that. And I think it's so interesting that, as you said, you know, no one at any stage says to us in preparation for parenthood, 
that one of the hardest things is going to be that our children are going to reflect stuff for us and they're going to invite us to go there and that we are going to be triggered, for want of a better word, frequently by our children's behavior back into our own pain. And that just happens again and again and again and again in parenting, doesn't it? And we have this amazing opportunity once we have this realization it's such an amazing opportunity for us to be able to go through these processes. And yeah, I did Marion's Inner Loving Presence Process course as well, and it's really, really powerful. But whatever modality it is that works for you, mm-hmm. it can be an opportunity for us to go in and give some love and some transformation to what has been sitting in our bodies for such a long time, causing us pain that we're often not even aware of. And yet when we think about mainstream parenting, it's all about you know, responding when your children behave in ways that you find difficult by punishing them, shaming them, withdrawing love, sending them away, and and thinking that that is going to teach them how to behave properly. And it just not only does that destroy your connection with your children, it misses all the opportunity there for healing and growth for ourselves. So I just mm. think it's so, so profound. I loved how you described that. Thank you. And so I'm interested then about anything you else you might want to share around listening to feelings and how that's changed now your children, because you have two children. So presumably your second child, you were offering aware parenting to them from, from the beginning. And, mm-hmm. and what have you seen differences in them as a result of, of that? Or, or how was it second time around for you? I think with the second time, we probably waited maybe until about six weeks old to really to get to know him and to understand more deeply his cues for his physical needs. And then we started listening to feelings. And I think, you know, it changed some really practical things. For example, we didn't use a dummy or a pacifier the second time, and we were quite quite diligent using it with our daughter in the first nine months. And then I, I was able to interpret um, certain cries in certain ways. So, for example when he first started crying and we would we would l- be listening to his feelings, we sat on the couch with him, I would be holding him, and sometimes he would arch his back and he would rub his head on the, on the arm of the chair. And had I not been familiar with aware parenting, I'm not sure that I would have really recognized what was happening for him then. But because I could link that specifically to a time in his birth, I could understand that that was what he was trying to process. And so I was able to support him in that motion. And after a couple of weeks, he stopped. He stopped trying to to pop his head on or rub his head on things. Another example, I think, is as as you're sort of doing this for a longer period of time, there is a deeper trust in everything that's happening and a deeper trust in trusting the timing of your healing and trusting the timing of your children's healing. And so when he was a one-year-old, he had an accident where he lost control of his balance bike and he uh, went over a retaining wall and he fell a metre and a half. And it was really traumatic for everyone. We had to call an ambulance and he had, luckily, he had just broken his collarbone. I mean, yeah, it was miraculous. What I realised from that process was I said, okay, this traumatic event has happened and I know all the tools that we're going to work on to to heal this now. The first thing I realized is I needed to process it myself because every time I closed my eyes, I, I saw him 
falling. So it was about getting listening time for myself. It was about supporting myself with what I needed to move through it. And then it was about trusting his timing for being able to heal from it as well and taking the little snippets as and when they arose. So the first part of it was just going back to where it happened and and watching him. He was he wasn't able to speak, but he was able to gesture and express what had happened for him in that moment. And we would go up to this spot where it happened and we would go up again and again and again and he would stop and he would talk about it in his own way. And then it moved on to attachment play and him making the sound of the ambulance siren and playing doctors and things like that. And so it was just to trust that at each point the next layer came up to be healed to follow his lead on that. And I think uh, it also allowed us to follow the lead of our daughter who had witnessed it as well and her own healing of that and understanding and processing and moving through it. And just realizing that that's, there's no rush for that. We, we can't rush it. It's only the next layer will come up as and when it's ready to be healed and as much as our psyche can manage at the time. And then we just trust that the next part will come up when it comes up and go with it. So I think it was, yeah, definitely about realizing that healing really has its own timeline and, and we can't, we can't influence that. Mm. Yes. Yep. Wow. And again, I mean, it's so hard, isn't it? Because this requires us to, to deeply trust ourselves and our children. And that's often a really hard thing for us to do because that's that's not how we were raised. And we didn't we don't have this experience of being able to trust ourselves or the world or the timing or anything. And so again, that's another big learning. But I loved how you described that process of first of all how important it is initially when we go through these traumatic experiences. I mean, obviously the first thing is to, to deal with the emergency, but afterwards mm -hmm. the first step is around getting support and listening for ourselves. And I, I think that's so crucial for us because then we are really, we really have capacity to be able to allow the, our children to then go through the process in their own time. And I loved how you talked about yeah, following his lead and trusting that the next layer would come whenever the time was right for it and that there's no rush because I think often when our children experience painful or difficult or traumatic experiences, particularly when we know we're parenting, we're like, right, so I want to listen to all the feelings and then I want to do all the attachment play and, and heal them and then we can get over yeah. this and move on. But, you know, that's that's not how trauma works. And and I love that sense of, of just surrender and allowing and trusting and and the process just naturally going through its course. And I think that's a really helpful perspective because when we understand these healing, powerful healing mechanisms that our children and us all have, there has to be this sense of of allowing it to to happen. It's not something that, I mean, it's something that we can facilitate and it's something that obviously we support and we can recognize, but it is this natural process that will happen in its own perfect, beautiful timing. So I really loved how you described that. I know that you, you share about attachment play. I've seen a couple of your beautiful posts about it in the group, for example. What else would you like to say about attachment play? Are there other things that you found particularly helpful in your own family? Are there things that you really enjoy sharing with clients around attachment play? What, what would you love to share about it? Attachment play, I think, is a, a wonderful 
tool to have in your in your toolbox and I think particularly when you're feeling a little bit at capacity it can be an easy an easier way than listening to to lots of crying if you if you don't have the support and the resources to do that at the time a little bit of attachment play can be a great way to reconnect and to move through some things that are a little bit tricky I talk to a lot of clients about it in particular for preparing their older children for the the birth of their sibling and so attachment play is a is a wonderful way to show them what may happen you know we use little dolls in our house little wooden dolls to to do symbolic or, or role play and so prior to my son being born I would act out what would happen when I went into labor and who would be here to care for my daughter and where we might go or what she might see me doing or who would be there to to look after her needs and then how she would meet her sibling and things like that. And so we we reenacted that or we sort of role played it with these little dolls for a long time. And then you could you could sort of leave the story a bit open and then she would she would show you where she was at by what she would do with the dolls next. We've used it for things like moving house. Um, that was another big one as well that we used symbolical role play for. And then, uh, yeah, when when we're thinking about our older children preparing for the birth of their sibling, attachment play is a huge part of it and understanding uh, regression play in particular. Even when we're pregnant, sometimes our big kids can start acting like like babies. And if we can understand that, and where that's coming from and that it's part of them being able to process what's about to happen and we can indulge them in that. It's wonderful to help them move through it. You know, kids are so clever. They're always giving us these little snippets into their world and they're always showing us the way the way through. And I think, for example, after my son was born, my daughter, uh, she regressed quite a lot. Uh, not only when he was first born, but after whenever he met a significant milestone, she would go back to that milestone herself. So when he started crawling, she started crawling everywhere. When he started walking, she would sort of do that tumbly walk that, that new babies do. And when he started eating solids, she asked for all of her food to be pureed again. And if you have, you know, if you're not sure what that's all about, you can think it's really irritating. And you don't want to indulge your your older child suddenly acting like a baby. But if you understand that it's coming from a place of trying to process what's going on in terms of having a new sibling and the change in the dynamic that's happened in the family, that there's probably some grief there, that there's uh, also maybe them trying to process and understand those particular milestones from their babyhood. And you can indulge it it passes and they've they've processed it and they've moved through it so that that framing of use, being able to use attachment play in that way I think was was amazing and helping her to helping all of us settle into the the new dynamic mm. yeah yeah so nice I love that yes it's so powerful isn't it and it's such a challenging time for everybody in the family around preparing for and then the birth of of another child and it's such a helpful part of supporting our older kids 
through yes through symbolic play through role play through regression play through you know all the other parts of attachment play too and special time and all that kind of thing and i loved how you described that process it how important it is for us to understand and to recognize what our children are asking of us when they start behaving in these ways mm. and how easy it is to to then work with that and support them to come through the whole process when we can actually recognize what they're trying to tell us yes yeah, so beautiful yeah so it's such a it's such a shift and i think a lot of what we're probably unprepared of is that that paradox of feelings or having you know being so in love with your baby and the new dynamic of having a larger family and also grieving the loss of your smaller family and I think it's it's hard, it feels hard to hold those two things, but it's such an important, such an important, you know, part to recognize and acknowledge as well. Yeah, absolutely. So important for us to be getting listening um, for ourselves around that time too. And I really mm-hmm. remember lots of big feelings coming up for me. I didn't know about aware parenting when my second child was born. It was when she was a young baby that I first discovered it, but I definitely remember that so many big feelings around guilt towards my older child, wondering if I would have enough love for another child to come in, um, missing, like you say, grieving the, the the intimacy and the specialness of your relationship with your older child that is then sort of diluted. And then the huge feelings of love you have for your second one. And there are just so many layers to that. And it's yeah, it's really when if we get our listening to, to work through all those feelings for ourselves rather than just pushing through and supporting everybody else then we have so much more capacity to be able to support our kids to make it all a much more smooth transition. So yeah, mm-hmm. I love that you brought that up as well. What have been some of the things that you found really challenging with aware parenting? Mm. At first I found it really isolating because there wasn't anyone else that I knew that was that was following this style of parenting. And I really think about that when I first listened to that podcast and I first became sort of aware of it, and then you you can't unsee it wherever you go in the way that that people are interacting with children, even even children that aren't their own and and it's sort of that's really hard to deal with initially, and you're you feel like sometimes you can feel like you're on a bit of an island wanting to parent in this way, and I remember sort of initial judgments about it too, like oh you know, I think your children are going to be really entitled or and those kind of comments. And I think when you first enter parenthood, you're in such a vulnerable state and there's so much information and something happens when you become pregnant that suddenly public opinion is freely given to you by people that you don't know. And so you you do feel quite vulnerable and you're trying to fumble your way and find your way through. And so when you're wanting to try something that isn't as mainstream as you would like, it can feel quite scary and quite, yeah, even more vulnerable, I guess. So I did find it quite isolating initially. I think being able to connect online has been a, a huge source of community and feeling like you're you're not alone in the journey and, and understanding and listening to podcasts and reading more books and things and seeing how it practically plays out in people's lives has been amazing. I think probably initially when I first started, I really wanted to do things right all the time. 
And because, you know, I was saying before, you can't unsee it. Then when you start doing things in, in ways that you don't intend or that you don't enjoy, sort of I think initially I really was quite hard on myself for that. And now it's come to a point of recognizing, okay, I'm I'm not getting my needs met in this in this way. And these are the things that I need to facilitate to support me so that I can be showing up for my kids more often in a way that I want to. And I think, you know, being able to, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I sort of learned like in my 30s how to really apologize, how to really repair a rupture that had happened and to to do it in a way that didn't place responsibility on anyone else, but took accountability for what was going on for myself and things that I would, you know, do next time to try and stop that from happening and saying to my children, like, how can I support you and and how can I repair this and make this better with you when I had done things that I that I didn't enjoy. And I think that was a big, a big part of it. And if that's something that hasn't really been demonstrated to you, it's quite daunting to to be like oh I've got to I've really got to show up in all the ways and I have to I have to be accountable for my actions and I I want my kids to grow up and and be able to understand that they can be in relationships and it's safe enough to make mistakes and they can repair that and they can reconnect and to just have that compassion for yourself so I think that's been a a really big part of the journey and I think I think aware parenting is a long game. <laughs> you know, if we want a quick fix, we would do it the old way. And so keeping that in mind when things feel tough or things feel like they're taking longer than you thought they would or, you know, something's taking a long time to move through, I think just trusting that it's you're in it for the long game and you're wanting to create something for your kids for the rest of their lives and the relationship you're invested in that relationship with your kids so yeah I think those have sort of been the the most challenging aspects of it Mm, thank you for sharing that yeah I, I think the isolation and the lack of community is is often really challenging for people and it really yeah we really need to have those connections when we're doing things so differently so that we can keep practicing and keep learning and keep exploring and, and sharing the journey with other people who really get it so that we're not judged and and so on. That's It can be really hard, can't it? And I loved what you're sharing as well about doing it right, mm. to do it all right and, and how hard that can be. And and learning the the language of repair and reconnection again is is such a such a new thing for most of us to be to be experiencing it's not something that we I mean I nobody ever apologized to me in my life so mm-hmm. you know, learning to do that in a way that is actually nourishing and and helpful for everybody is is a real it's a real language to be learning isn't it and and I, I loved how you brought in the bit about self-compassion too and I'm wondering if you're happy to share any more about you know, how you learned that process, because we talk a lot in Aware Parenting about compassion and encouraging our clients to to learn to be compassionate with themselves. But that's quite a process, isn't it, to learn to speak to ourselves in a very different way. How was that for you? Yeah, I think it it sort of takes me back a little bit to to our healing having its own time frame. You know, I was thinking, if we think about the the origins, I guess, of how Aletha came up with this or started delving into the concept of aware parenting was really, I think, around 
her not wanting her children to need therapy. <laughs> and I'm like, my kids are probably going to need therapy at some point, but I'm okay with that because I'm a human. And, you know, I think we're getting into a stage of wanting to, to break so many intergenerational patterns and we can't all do it ourselves. We can't, we can't do this in one lifetime. We can give it a really good nudge and there's still going to be more to be done. And so I think, yeah, really trusting. If I look back on my aware parenting journey, like five years ago, it's fundamentally different to how it is now. So just understanding that it's a growth process and the more that we practice, the better we, we get at it and, and not expecting that level of perfection of ourselves. And I think that's also a gift to our kids that they don't have to get it right the first time. And, and we demonstrate that we role model that all the time. And I think it's quite, quite beautiful that they've, my children have now come to a, a point of understanding that when something goes in a way that we don't want or we don't enjoy, that there will be that moment of coming back together. And it's because it's, you know, it's been role modeled to them over and over again. And so I think, yeah, just holding ourselves in compassion for that. And I had a, a particularly challenging pregnancy with my son. And when I, I learned that everything was going to be okay, I was about 20 weeks pregnant. And I booked in a session with Leo and I said, okay, Leo, I've got from week 20 to week 40 to just get rid of all this trauma <laughs> and to heal myself. <laughs> and we both looked at each other and she said, oh, love, you know that's not how that works. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> I thought you were going to give me the magic bullet. I said, I know, I know that's not how it works. And so I think it is really having that. Yeah, again, I just come back to the trust and the process and that what's ready to be healed will be and and we can't we can't push ourselves any more than that. Mm. Yeah, so nice, isn't it? So nice. I mean, we often wish that we could just like have a magic wand, heal it all, get it all out the way. And yeah, yeah I don't just... want to give any of this to my kids. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> but yes. it's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and things are just so different for them, even though they're not perfect for them. And that's that's okay. That's just how it is. Yeah. That's how it has to be, really. Yeah. I love yeah. That. Yeah. So I'd love to ask as well about other things like, for example, loving limits. is uh, mm -hmm. That's often quite a process for people to learn how to offer loving limits for our children, how to hold those limits, how to energetically be in that space and actually support them to release and to say no in a loving way and all that kind of thing. How have you found that process? Yeah, again, I go back to Marion. Marion through her work, I really learned about tuning in with my inner willingness. And so that has been a big shift for me as well. I think parenting, you know, prior to parenting, I didn't really have any understanding of needs or boundaries, my own needs. And so I think that has been a really big shift for me. And one of the ways to get in touch with, with that was to think about my willingness for something. Because our kids are so energetically attuned to us, we can get them the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then it, it builds as a resentment in us if, we, if we're not willing to hold that boundary. And so I think they can sense that. 
And I think it was an important part of being able to to understand how I could create boundaries and how I could engage in democratic discipline without using punishment and rewards. And I think that was a big, a really big shift for me. I had not experienced that. So again, trying to uh, create something for our children that we haven't experienced ourselves is really challenging. And also understanding that it's a, a platform for release or a bit of a context, a wall for them to push against. And I think I think back to my child self too, when I would have had limits put in place. And I think what I really needed in those moments is to someone to is someone to sit with me in my disappointment or my upset or my sadness or my rage about that limit so that that emotion could move through me. And so I think that has been a a thing that I've had to learn as a parent. When I tune into my willingness to do or not to do something, and then I hold that limit as to be able to be okay with holding space for my kids' feelings about that limit. And to know like it's, it's okay that they feel disappointed that wasn't willing to get them the red cup because they already had the yellow cup and that it's probably not actually about the cup anyway. And so how do I create this container where they feel like they can push up against it and they can have that context to release those feelings? Mm. So in the in the wider context of it, I guess I yeah, it's been something that I've had to learn, but I I see so much value in it for myself and for my kids to be able to to function in a way without without punishments and rewards as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like how long yeah, I loved how you described that too. I think so often our kids are inviting us to say no and they're just going to keep inviting us and keep inviting us and like literally begging us to say no to them. And then <laughs> then it really requires us to be attuned. Again, it comes back to that attunement, I think, which is such a big part of it. And I loved how you brought in the 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 desire for democratic discipline and seeing at the same time that there are times when our children need this this no in order to for it to provide them with this platform to be able to release whatever it is that they're they're holding on to in the moment but yeah it, it requires it goes so much better when we're offering loving limits to our children when we're really clear ourselves about mm. whether it's it's really a yes or a no from us so yeah i really love that thank you so is there anything else that you'd like to share about in terms of what you love about a web parenting or, or what you love supporting people with or, or anything else that we haven't touched on yet? I guess the the main part of the world that I'm trying to operate in is really focusing so much on parents and on mums and understanding what a monumental transition it is to have children. And every time that we have another child, that's a really big shift. And I sort of have this sense of if we really take care of mums, if we give people a space to process and to be heard and to be listened to about their fertility, their pregnancy, their birth and their postpartum journey, and we, we wrap around this support around the family unit, however that looks and how whatever support they have around them this is going to sound like a like a uh, Miss Universe like contestant answer but like we could change the world 
we could have world peace. No, we could like, we wrap around this family unit and we provide people with the support that they need and we create the sense of a village and this community around them. Then everybody thrives. There's such a, it's just something we should be investing in for our, for our wider communities, for our countries, everything. I'm just, mm. I just think it's, it's so important that we start with parents and we start with children. And the flow on effects will be amazing. So I'm just, I'm grateful for Aware Parenting and I'm grateful that there's there's so many instructors across the world and there's, there's places for people to meet and talk about it and, and feel that sense of community because I think it's really powerful. Yes. Yeah, I so agree with you. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I love the words that you use there because, yeah, it's about supporting for mothers and I love that sense of wrapping around that you were describing and and, and how that supports individual families or individuals within a family and then the family and then the wider community and then the countries and then and then the whole mm-hmm. mankind actually yeah to to be thriving it's it's so profound absolutely and it's so missing you know we we have such needs for it now more than ever so yeah I loved I loved that thank you yeah, uh, and I think if, if we if we viewed adults as well through the same lens, you know, if we we understand, yeah, I think if we had a trauma informed approach to every challenge in society, we would just do things so differently. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. And through raising our children this way, we are giving them that trauma informed lens for for their future, which is also going to be so powerful, isn't it? Amazing. Mm. So if people want to work with you, Kirsty, how do people reach you? Where do you share? What do you share? Tell us about how people can get in touch with you. Yeah, so uh, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and I also have a website. My business is called Honoring Mamas. Yeah, so it's pretty easy if you give me a Google. Yeah, I'll put all the links in the in the show description. And are there specific programs that you offer? What What do you do with parents to support them? Uh, so there's a yeah a range of things that I do. I've done um, I've done workshops at play centres or early childhood centres, as well as one-on-one coaching. A lot of what I do when I'm supporting parents does go back to birth debriefing and to spend some time honouring the mother and what she has gone through to bring her baby's earth side, and that can that can lead into a huge thing that we're experiencing in parenthood as well with with current challenges with our children so i i always take it back to the fertility and birth process and and you know people might think it's not significant but it's where it all begins so yeah it's a big chunk of it so yeah one-on-one or group organization sessions yeah lovely and i also have some uh, online workshops as well so things that people can watch in their own time. There's one on nurtured postpartum. Um, So how do you practically plan for the fourth trimester and how do you get your family support around that? And then there's an empowered parenthood workshop which talks specifically about how do we get our older children ready for the, the big change that is welcoming a sibling. Beautiful. Thank you. I'll put all those links in the show descriptions. 
And I always end by asking if you could go back now and say something to to the younger you right at the beginning of this parenthood journey or something that you really wish you'd known at the beginning that you now deeply know, what, what would you tell yourself? I think it would be just trust. Trust it's going to unfold exactly how it's supposed to. Yeah. Beautiful. So beautiful. So need all of us needed to hear that right at the beginning of the process and how how much easier it would be and how much easier it is with aware parenting to be able to do that. Because mm-hmm. if we're getting the listening that we need ourselves regularly, then we can trust. If we're seeing this in action with our children and seeing what a powerful impact it's having on them, then we can trust. If we can see that when we mess up and then we learn how to rewind and repair, that it's all going to be okay and we can reconnect mm-hmm. and everything's going to be all right, then we can trust. I mean, it's just, it's so beautiful, but it all starts with with knowing that it's it's all going to be okay. Yeah, I think I think because some people struggle with the fact that maybe they haven't started parenting with a weird parenting from the beginning. And I think, well, I don't I don't regret that because I know I know that starting when my baby was a little bit older now allows me to be able to support adults, you know, parents to start it at any point and it's never too late. And so I think if I had, you know, known about it when I was pregnant or, you know, I wouldn't have that experience. So I think that's an important part of it too. Yeah, I love that you brought that in because I think it is so often people say, oh, have I left it too late or I can't undo or all of that kind of thing. And I just try to reassure parents that it's never too late and all of the small steps that we take in this journey are deeply significant. And I still do sort of rewind and reconnection stuff with my 19-year-old in relation to things that happened when he was two and a half and we started this journey. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just this ongoing, like you say, it's the long game. And uh, there's always, if we trust the timing, there's always opportunities to heal and to deepen our relationship, which is just profound for everybody. So, yeah, thank mm, you for sharing. Beautiful. Yeah. So thank you so much, Kirsty. I've so enjoyed talking to you. I love the way you share and the way you describe your journey and, and what it all means to you. I think it's so helpful for everybody. So I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm